Hi, welcome to the Great Christian Books Podcast. This is Daniela and John. And today we're going to be talking about Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. My son, do not despise the Lord. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this book, actually. Um, it's been so impactful. So actually, my wife and I have been uh, reading through this book this past week because of a sermon series at church about the inward disciplines. And uh, it's been great. Yeah, I actually didn't know too much about Richard Foster until uh, preparing for this. And there's uh-huh. a couple of interesting things about him. The first is that he's a Quaker. I don't think I knew anything about Quakers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that's really interesting. Also, uh, one thing that really struck me when reading the introduction is that when he had the idea to write this book and he wrote his manuscript, he went to Harper and he was one of 700 unpublished authors who submitted a manuscript. Mm-hmm. And out of those 700 manuscripts, his was the only one that was accepted. Wow. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So a very unique situation. And then another thing that struck me is just how widespread this book is. I think I knew that it existed and some of my friends have read it, but it turns out that it has sold over 2 million copies in the past 40 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, with those two things, it seems like the Holy Spirit is, has really spoken to Richard Foster uh about these things and through that he's blessing uh the larger church body yeah absolutely uh he also has written a bunch of other books he wrote uh, a book on prayer he wrote a book called life with god which we have in our library um one of my favorite books by him actually is a book called streams of living water and i read it in seminary but it basically goes through Uh, various Christian traditions throughout history and kind of shows the beauty of each tradition in its context, how, you know, some parts of the body of Christ really focused on um, evangelism, some parts of the body of Christ focused a lot on the spiritual gifts, and some parts of the body of Christ focused a lot on justice. And um, I don't know, I just love his heart uh, for the whole body of Christ uh, that, you know, it's not about one denomination or another, but it's about Christ's beauty in all of these different parts um, uh, of the church. And so um, you definitely see that in the celebration of discipline uh, as well. Yeah, I'm definitely inspired to look into more of his works after reading this book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, jumping right into the book, I like that in this book, he kind of has this like theme of discipline as something that gives us freedom. I think for many of us, when we hear the word discipline or we think about the disciplines like praying or reading the Bible, it can seem kind of legalistic or something that you don't want to do. But I love that he, the way that he frames it, that it's not the way to reach God necessarily, um, but that it's a door into 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 reaching him and that it's a way he says this uh in the few first few chapters it's a way for us to place ourselves on the path to encountering god and to change so it's not that the disciplines necessarily like equate change in our hearts or Mm -hmm. that they bring us to god Mm -hmm. it's always his grace but it's a way Mm -hmm. that we place ourselves before him and that's why he can get away with the title like celebration of discipline right i mean 
you know, when you think about discipline, it seems like a very harsh word. It seems like, you know, it's something that you need to push so much effort into. But no, the, the spiritual disciplines are just provided by God uh, so that we can open up our hearts to him and, and receive his grace. That's what it's really about. And, you know, if you think about it that way, there's nothing to, um, you know, not celebrate about that. It's, it's very joyful. Absolutely. And I think the first few sentences of this book are some of my favorite first few yeah. sentences. Mm-hmm. So I'll read them for us. Superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. Mm. Yeah. I love that idea that in our day and age, there's just so much access to knowledge. And and this was written, again, 40 years ago. So I think this has only increased with things like the internet and like Bible apps. And we just have so much access to sermons and the word. And I think we know a lot of things in our head. Mm -hmm. But... I know at least for me, there's still a lot of depth that could be developed. Mm -hmm. And there's just a lot of places where I want to go deeper with God and not just kind of spat out the right answers, but actually have experienced these things and know them in my heart. Yeah. And it's funny, like I was just about to kind of ask you for your perspective about like, well, how do we kind of cultivate that depth? And then immediately, like, I was like, well, the answer is the disciplines. Like, that's the whole point of the book. And that's really the joy and the celebration of this book is that having depth with the Lord, um, that comes through the patience of walking with him day after day, but it doesn't have to feel abstract, right? There's no shortcuts to this. And obviously, Danielle and I um, are have so much to learn and have so much to mature in. But it's also not just like this abstract thing. Uh, God has provided the disciplines for us to cultivate that depth that we so desire. And I don't know. I'm just excited. I'm so excited um, to you know read this book and then to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just talking a little bit more about this idea of depth because I think it's so important. And this is such a good quote. Mm-hmm. Um, he references Psalm 42, obviously, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All of your waves and breakers have washed over me. And just that idea mm-hmm. that there's something deep within us that's crying out for, you know, encounter with the depths of God. And this is the quote that I'm talking about specifically. Um, it says this, perhaps somewhere in the subterranean chambers of your life, you have heard the call to deeper, fuller living. You have become weary of frothy experiences and shallow teaching. Every now and then you have caught glimpses, hints of something more than you have known. Inwardly, you long to launch out into the deep. Mm-hmm. And I love that. That I, I think that speaks to our, I mean, at least to my heart, that, that idea that there's this distant call. There's this mm-hmm. desire to go deeper. And then we're just so easily caught up in the superficiality of our age and, and things like that. And we'll talk about simplicity later. But yeah, I, I've really I've really been thinking about that quote. And it's really been resonating with me this week. Let me see. Where, can you point it out to me on the page here? You've become weary of frothy experiences. I, that's such a good I mean just in terms of just the writing too not not that we're here to do you know be literary critics but frothy experiences that just yeah. so uh accurately describes like yeah you know I think the dissatisfaction that I have with 
um, my life in the context of American culture. And it's something that we have to repent of on a daily basis. It's just this kind of frothiness and this kind of materialism. And I don't know, it's just hard. It's hard to have that depth, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And he addresses in the chapter um, kind of like the, the things that get in the way of us pursuing the disciplines. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things which really uh, struck me as important was just the idea of kind of like works versus grace. So, and I, and I talked about this already a little bit, but just the idea that um, we don't have to kind of get hung up on that debate. Like, do I have to do things to kind of right. get closer to God or isn't it grace? But again, it's just the idea that God has given us these disciplines as a way of receiving his grace. Mm-hmm. And they allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can then transform us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, another thing that I like that he brings up as kind of like a hindrance is, um, you know, he talks about basically the idea that people kind of assume that the disciplines are for quote-unquote spiritual giants, right? And um, yeah, I mean, I think when you think about the disciplines, yeah, as you said, you you can either kind of struggle with the idea that it's about works and effort, but I think other people kind of struggle with the idea that, hey, like, I would love to be a spiritual guru, but like, I'm not a monk or I'm not a nun. And no, uh, Richard Foster says that God created the disciplines for ordinary people like you and me. And that's what's so great about this. I think a lot of authors talk about spiritual depth, but it's in a mystical way, right? And so, uh, you know, on the one hand, you're, you know, this superficial American that all you care about is shopping and TV. And then on the other hand, you're like a monk in the desert. But really, this spiritual depth was something that God has given us the opportunity um, for every single one of us. And that's why you know, I think the book is beautiful, but it's also so practical. And so that combination just gives me so much hope in my heart. Um, And so, yeah, that's why I really love the book. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love that in every chapter, he has practical things that you can do. And I love what you said. Like, I think oftentimes I read this, these, these kinds of things. And I think to myself, Oh, you know, I wish I were like Elijah, you know, but then actually the Bible says in James, Elijah was a man just like us. Mm -hmm. So there is this reality that, Mm -hmm. you know, we can do it and that if we just place ourselves before God through these disciplines, he can transform us and he will transform us because he wants us to be like him. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but going back to what you were kind of saying about works, I also like that um, Richard Foster kind of, uh, really warns us about the danger of the disciplines as well. Yeah. He's very practical. He, he's very down-to-earth and, and pragmatic. Um, but he, he talks about how the spiritual disciplines are intended for our good, but it's possible to turn the spiritual disciplines into a set of soul-killing laws. And he says that law-bound disciplines uh, breathe death. And, you know, he is kind of part of, still part of that old-school generation that, like, doesn't hold back and doesn't mince words. And I love that he's just like, listen, if you if you kind of approach spiritual disciplines the wrong way, like that's actually going to produce death in you. And, and the re- way that that, um, you know, produces death is if like the Pharisees were just focused on the externals. And I know for myself, I really struggle with that um, when it comes 
uh, to the disciplines. But yeah, anything else that uh, we can talk about from this uh, intro chapter? I mean, I, I love this kind of introduction. No, I'm ready to jump into my favorite chapter, meditation. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, meditation um, is the first. So this book is split up into uh, the inward disciplines, the outward disciplines, and the corporate disciplines. Um, and so meditation is the first of um, the inward disciplines. And, um, you know, again, he starts off by talking about, you know, in, a, in contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things. So this is, he's talking about how the devil um, kind of battles against us. Noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. And again, that idea that yeah, our culture is so busy around us. It, you know, uh, we're here in Boston and we can really feel the daily grind. Yeah. But meditation is kind of the antidote uh, to that. Yeah. Uh, I especially like his definition of meditation. I think going into this, I was a little wary of this chapter mm -hmm. i'm from texas and that sounds a little like mystical and like you know maybe <laughs> what does weird. that have to do with texas and i feel like we're very like you know read yeah. the bible bible belt yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. not uh -huh. nothing too you know crazy like sure. that at yeah. least in my context right 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 so yeah i love his definition it's so straightforward the definition for meditation that he has is the ability to hear god's voice and obey his word mm -hmm. and i feel like mm -hmm. none of us can really have any like problems Qualms with that, with that yeah right, it's, right. it's like yes that is that sounds mm -hmm. good and he also talks about uh you know the fact that meditation is uh authentically biblical and christian um he talks about how there's two different hebrew words um to describe meditation and um how you know in in the, throughout the bible uh, it refers to listening to God's word, reflecting on God's works, rehearsing God's deeds, ruminating God's law, and, and so on and so forth. Many different approaches to meditation uh, throughout scripture. And he also talks about how like those Bible heroes that, you know, we've come to love, uh, they, they all practice meditation. Um, it says in Genesis 24, 63, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And it talks about throughout the Psalms, you know, I meditate on you in the watches of the night and uh, I meditate upon your promises and meditate on the law of the Lord. And he talks about Eli and Isaiah and Jeremiah and, of course, uh, last and certainly not least, um, Jesus, right? Jesus always went off by himself to like a desolate place. And he's like, where are you going, Jesus? Well, you know, Richard Foster says, you know, Jesus is not just trying to run away from people. He's trying to commune uh, with the Lord. And so uh, it's a very biblical and Christian idea. Yeah. And just going into that communion with God, that is, I think, what has really just been like hitting me the most. Mm. Just the idea that meditation is not like this, you know, like weird Eastern thing. We'll talk about that in a little bit, mm -hmm. but it's a very, it's just very simple. It's just about us being with God. And he mm -hmm. talks about that in page 17 in our edition. He talks about that, you know, Garden of Eden reality where Adam and Eve were created to be with God, to have fellowship and communion with him. Um, and ultimately that is what meditation is. It's just about us communing with God mm -hmm. and just holding him um and page 20 he has this quote that i like i absolutely love 
and it's um it reads like this it says uh, what happens in meditation is that we create the emotional and spiritual space which allows Christ to construct an inner sanctuary in the heart. So it's just about creating space for Christ to be with us in our hearts. And he talks about Revelations 3.20 where it says that, um, you know, Jesus says, you know, I stand at the door and knock. And how that's actually not written for unbelievers, but it's written for believers. That idea that Jesus is at the door of our hearts knocking and wanting to come in and have fellowship and communion with us. And that just made me just feel like, wow, I really have to make time for this in my life because, you know, God is not like far away and I have to go like search for him. He's actually right at the door waiting for me to to welcome him in and to have that fellowship and that communion. And that's so convicting to me that Jesus is not far off we don't have to go try to find him in some, you know, uh, crazy journey, spiritual journey. But he's currently knocking on the door of every single one of our hearts. And it's just kind of like, why do we go after these other experiences then? Why do we log into Facebook? Or why do we scroll through Instagram when Jesus is right now? in this moment, knocking on the doors of our hearts. And I mean, my answer, I guess, is sin. I mean, it's, yeah, but it's very convicting. Um, but there's so much grace and, and all we have to do is open the doors of our hearts and, and have that fellowship with him. And a theme that he talks about throughout the book is just kind of this idea of an inner sanctuary. So just continue, continuing with that thought, um, he talks about how meditation is a portable sanctuary that is brought into all that we do, into all that we are and do. So I just love that idea that I can be washing dishes or I can be taking care of our child and that there's this portable sanctuary that is within me and I can always respond to that, to that knocking from Jesus and I can always kind of create that time and space for him. And I have to read one more quote. Okay, so sure, sure. But it says, Inward fellowship of this kind transforms the inner personality. We cannot burn the eternal flame of the inner sanctuary and remain the same, for the divine fire will consume everything that is impure. Mm-hmm. And I think that also hits to the purpose of meditation. It's that when we have that fellowship with Christ, ultimately that fire is burning in our hearts and it's going to get rid of everything that is impure and that is not like him. Um, and make us ultimately more into his likeness, which is what we all desire. I think I maybe when I was reading through, I kind of missed that quote, but that, you know, that kind of like makes me think in the moment about how um, it, it just kind of creates faith in me that it's, it's again, not about my works or my effort, but I just literally put myself in the presence of God and put myself in the flame of his love and he's going to do that transformative work. He's going to produce the fruit of the spirit, uh, you know, his love, his patience, his humility, his meekness, his gentleness, his lowliness. I don't have to fight or force my way to these things. Uh, but I just put myself before the Lord and say, here I am. Will you minister to my heart? For the Lord
So one of the misconceptions that kind of had me a little bit hesitant about meditation going into this chapter is just the idea that uh, it seems like this Eastern thing, especially now in our day and age, mindfulness is very popular in our culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so I, sure. I personally always feel a little like, I don't know if I agree with that or I feel a little uncomfortable. But what I like is that he says that um, meditation is actually very much a Christian right. thing. Mm-hmm. And you talked about this a little bit, but just mm-hmm. the idea that, you know, for us now, it seems like something that might not be native to the Christian faith. But actually, if we go to the early church, it was something that was very common. Mm-hmm. And also continuing with that kind of like Eastern meditation, um, one thing that he he addresses is just that meditation, Christian meditation, is not about detachment. It's not about just like, you know, killing our flesh or getting rid of all of these mm-hmm. earthly mm-hmm. desires. But actually... It has to move us from detachment into attachment. So we're not just mm. getting rid of these things, but we're also in the process of meditation, meditating, attaching ourselves to Christ. So it's not just letting go, but also grabbing hold of what we do know and, uh, and, and just pressing into who Jesus is in the process of meditating. I wonder what, I mean, what do you think, like, attaching ourselves to Christ looks like? I mean, not even just practically, but I, I'm even having... Um, not a hard time, but just trying to wrap my mind around, I feel like my mode is always to detach myself from the world. You know what I mean? But like, what do you think like attaching ourselves to Christ even looks like? I think that of that verse in the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 63. I might be wrong, but just the idea of I cling to you and your right hand upholds me. Mm. And I think it's very much the idea that we, we just, we just grab hold you know, mm-hmm. or I think of Acts mm-hmm. where it says, like, if you reach out that you might find me, you know, mm-hmm. that God is always wanting to be found and that we can grab You hold. know, that, and that makes me think, like, this is great because, like, the reason why we can attach ourselves to God is because he is a personal being. And that's the major difference between um, Eastern meditation, which is uh, there is no personal force, mm-hmm. right, yeah. versus we are, you know, we are trying to stretch out and are like, you know, my soul clings to you as your right hand upholds me. It's that mutual relationship, that mutual friendship with God that's just not possible um, with Eastern meditation. And I, I, you know, I, I really think this distinction between detachment and attachment is critical because I have coworkers that meditate 20 minutes a day that, that are not necessarily religious um, they just find it to be a helpful practice. You know, I have coworkers that go to mindfulness retreats. And if we don't have a strong, authentic Christian view, a strong biblical view of meditation, which has been a part of the church uh, since, you know, through the first centuries of the church, then we're just going to be swept away by the culture around us. And, you know, that, that's ultimately, that's what's going to happen. And, and that's sad to me. Uh, and so I'm I'm so glad for Richard Foster's distinction. Right? Yeah, definitely. Another misconception that he addresses is that meditation is kind of like this religious form of psychological manipulation or just, you know, something else that might put people off is if you think of medica- meditation as like, you know, searching in your subconscious for something. And I like what he says. So like to manipulating like your own psyche, basically, yeah. like tricking yourself. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, so what he says is, you know, Christian meditation is not about looking for the unknown, but it's, it's about looking for the one that we have found. 
Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. That it kind of reminds me of Song of Solomon, you know, where, yes. um, you know, the, the bride asks, you know, have you found my beloved? Yeah. You know, and that just that yearning for the bridegroom. Right. And um, yeah, it, it's funny, like with, with our conversation, we just never know where it's going to go. And I feel like where we're kind of landing upon is this idea of this personal God that burns with love for us. Yeah. And that is the heart of meditation. It's not about emptying my mind. It's not about uh, hiding in a corner. Um, although it may involve that, but it, you know, it's really about knowing that there is a personal God that loves me, that loves you, um, that loves the bride of Christ. And, um, uh, that's the foundation for our communion with him. I love this. This is such a blessing to my heart. Yeah. And another thing that stuck out to me is that he talks about, um, you know, what are the barriers to meditation? What keeps us from meditating on God? And one of the things that he addresses is this idea that we as humans desire a mediator. There's something about, mm. you know, we've been talking about this inner sanctuary and just having this communing with communion with God. But there's also something in us or, you know, including myself that gets kind of, you know, overwhelmed by, by that idea. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's something that is found throughout scripture, obviously with Israel and, and Moses, you know, they wanted him to be the one to go up to Mount Sinai and get the revelation, the encounter with mm -hmm. God, and then mm -hmm. to come back and give them the message. Mm -hmm. But they, they did not want that direct uh, connection themselves. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I love that he talks about this. Uh, he, he stresses that um, the history of religion is the story of an almost desperate scramble to have a king, a mediator, a priest, a pastor, a go-between. In this way, we need not go to God ourselves. And then uh, the way, the, the reason that he gives for that is that it saves us from the need to change. Because we know that if we're in God's presence, we will change. So that to me is really important. Just when I feel tempted to just kind of fill my, my cup with a sermon or with maybe a podcast or something like that. It's just a reminder that at the end of the day, I have access to God, and and I and I should use that access to to just find Him and to encounter Him directly instead of distracting myself or just you know taking the the lesser you know the lesser things that are more accessible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love this quote too. In that in that section, it says it boldly calls us to enter into the living presence of God for ourselves and it takes a certain amount of courage i mean it takes discipline uh it, it but it, it takes that saying i don't want to just hear it from other people i don't want to hear it from others experiences or others instagram testimonies i want to experience the living god i want to experience the love of god for myself and um that is so amazing and well i mean i think we should then talk about how do we actually uh, do that? Because, you know, meditation can seem like this abstract thing or you know, what, is, what is communion with God? But um, yeah. we really want to talk about, you know, the practicals of, well, how do we meditate? And I think I think that is, um, you know, more important than some of these other topics, you know, from, from the church community that we're a part of, you know, we're very familiar with prayer and fasting and I mean, people, I think, understand what study is, but meditation, I feel like there's just not a lot of teaching in the church about yeah, meditation. Um, so I like that he talks about um, 
that the foundation of meditation is meditation upon scripture. It's the central reference point by which all other forms of meditation are kept in proper perspective. And that's what he says. And um, when we think about meditation, I think that, again, kind of like um, you said, a lot of people worry about it being subjective. Like, well, what if I just start imagining things, um, you know, that are just counter to God? But God provided the word uh, as the guardrails so that we don't go off the rail, right? And so as long as we're medit- as long as our primary form of meditation is meditating upon the word of God, it's not just memorization, it's not, although actually in the Hebrew, sometimes that's what that means, but it's not just meditation, it's not just, um, you know, studying or reading commentaries, it's dwelling uh, in the word and letting that seep into our hearts. Yeah. Uh, I love that he's so practical. And in the section where he kind of guides us through what to do, he has one technique, which is palms down, palms up. Mm-hmm. And I actually want to read a very important quote from that section. Okay, well, let me find that here. Um, I think it's over here. Yeah. So I don't think you know what I'm going to read. but so, <laughs> okay, so his technique is talking about palms down and then palms up. So right. doing the palms down... So his idea is you go sit somewhere quiet and comfortable, but not too comfortable. He even talks about those practicals. And then in the palms down part, you place your down your palms down as a symbolic indication of your desire to kind of give up any concerns you have to God. Mm-hmm. So you put your palms down and you let go of things. Here's mm-hmm. an important quote from the book. It says, Lord, I give to you my anger toward John. <laughs> what? Yeah. I just wanted to read that to you. Wait, is that literally what the book says? Yes. Yeah, I'm not making this up. So not that I have any, you know, you know, personal experience with with this prayer. But yeah, so you you do palms down. I give I give my anger towards John, and then and then you do palms up. And during the palms up portion, you're kind of centering down, and you're now receiving something from the Lord. Okay. And this time he talks about Lord. I would like to receive your divine love for John. Why does he use the name John? Probably because John is... John Doe. Yeah, exactly. But I thought that was funny. So, yeah. So, that's the exercise. I I feel like he should keep it more anonymous, you know? Yeah, maybe like... Just a random... Albert or something, but... Oh, there's always an Albert out there, right? Yeah. Yes, but palms down, you kind of give up your concerns to God and then palms up. You know, your hands are kind of receiving peace. Mm-hmm. And you're receiving from the Lord. So I love how practical this is. I think we can all do this. Mm-hmm. And I even love just like the imagery. I know that I personally can remember palms down, palms up. Mm-hmm. And again, with that exercise, like, uh, again, it's not just about being mystical, or whatever. It's about um, letting the Lord speak to us. Um, but knowing that the guardrails are always the scripture. He's not going to speak to us in a way that is contrary uh, to his word. And the character, his character that's revealed um, in his word. Um, but he also talks about, um, you know, meditation on creation. You know, I love that. We recently did a Bible study and um, we talked about when God was confirming his covenant uh, with Abraham. He actually brought him out to look at all of the stars in the sky and said, you know, just as you can't count all those stars, so um, will your descendants be. And just the idea that God loves to speak to us through his creation. 
You know, and uh, if you look at the history of the church from the early church through the Reformation, I mean, there was so much emphasis on, um, you know, the, the book of nature, it was called, and, and so much emphasis on how God speaks to us through creation. And, you know, I just realized this. I feel like the reason why we hesitate nowadays is because, you know, evolution and, oh, you know, it's creationism versus evolution. And, and we, because of those debates swirling in our culture, we've lost touch with kind of the beauty of creation, right? Um, and, and, and we can't appreciate it with that kind of sincerity um, because of those debates that are raging, right? And um, he also talks about uh, meditating on, uh, it says, um, you know, to meditate upon the events of our time and to seek to perceive their significance. And so it's like another practical exercise. You know, you have your Bible in your right hand, you have your newspaper on the left, and you read the current events and you say, you know, you kind of think, what, how, what would God kind of speak into this current event? Like trying to gain the perspective and the wisdom of God when it comes to the issues that are swirling in our day. And again, I just love how practical it is. I love how pervasive uh, meditation uh, can be um, in our lives as it affects, you know, all the aspects of our lives. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I love this chapter and I really plan to put some of these techniques into practice. <laughs> you know, my favorite chapter actually was the uh, chapter on prayer. Um, and I was kind of surprised, honestly, because we come from a praying community, so to speak, and... Um, we have uh, prayer meetings um, every morning from 7 to 8.30. We have prayer meetings every evening from 7 to 9. Um, and uh, we receive a lot of teaching and training on prayer. But I felt like I learned, um, you know, so much stuff uh, from this chapter that I just, I don't know, I just, I guess, didn't really expect um, to learn. And so, um, you know, we really can't... Um, you know, leave the inward disciplines behind without talking about prayer. I mean, it's, a, it's we have to talk about this chapter, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, like John mentioned, we go to a church that really values prayer and we've heard a lot of excellent teaching on prayer and we have leaders mm -hmm. that model that for us very, very well. Mm -hmm. So not to say that we, at least personally, not to say that I apply all of the great teaching right. that I listen to, but right. in theory, I feel like I should know a lot about prayer. Mm -hmm. But that being said, reading this chapter really just retenderized my heart to the importance of prayer. Mm -hmm. So um, Richard Foster, in, on the, in the first page, he talks about why prayer matters. And I, and I love this quote. <clears throat> it says, prayer catapults us onto the frontier of the spiritual life. Of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. And then he has this quote by William Carey. Prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness. Mm -hmm. To pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. Mm -hmm. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. The closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's such a good just like foundation for why prayer matters and just the, the role that prayer can have into really allowing God to transform us. And obviously meditation and fasting and all of these things go together. But it just, I love the idea that prayer is the highest calling of the human spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, in the rest of the chapter, Richard Foster really emphasizes 
the fact that prayer actually changes things. So we're not just praying as a spiritual exercise. It's not, you know, prayer is not just another form of meditation. But I do like that he starts the uh, chapter off by emphasizing that, hey, actually, yes, we prayed so that God will change things, that God will answer our prayers. Uh, but when we pray, let's not forget that actually we're just coming to be transformed in that place of prayer. And it's not just about the ends, but it's also about um, the transformation that God can uh, work in our lives. Yeah, definitely. And I think one thing he, he mentions is just the the precedent in scripture for the idea that when we pray, things change. We can think of many examples of years being added onto people's lives or different outcomes for different cities because of people who kind of prayed or stood in the gap for that place. Mm -hmm. So it, it just, again, kind of just reminded me, yeah, when we pray, we have the power to change things. Right. And on the flip side, if you kind of think you live in a world where everything is kind of fixed and already set to happen a certain way, then you would be maybe less motivated to pray. Yeah, that, that's what he's talking about there really is kind of scientific materialism, right? That this earth, that this universe, we're just in a closed circuit and there's no one outside, there's no greater power, and no one can intervene or change the course of events. And we as Christians are not scientific materialists. We, But sometimes I think that we can kind of live and act as if there is no outside power and there is no way for mm. God to actually break into our reality and actually change things. Um, and, I, and I love this uh, thing that Richard Foster says um, to quote him. He says, Many people who emphasize acquiescence and resignation to the way things are as the will of God are actually closer to Epictetus than to Christ. Mm. And uh, Epictetus, you know, I just looked him up on Wikipedia. He's a Stoic philosopher. But the idea is, you know, if we just constantly in our prayers kind of think that, oh, you know, it's, it's the Lord's will and this is the way that things are and uh, nothing's going to change, uh, yeah, it can have a Christian or spiritual veneer, but the clear teaching of Jesus, of Paul, throughout the scriptures, we see that uh, when we pray, God actually answers our prayer. I remember this John Piper sermon. Uh, it was like a sermon jam kind of thing on YouTube. Um, but he, he talks about that verse in James where it says, you have not because you ask not. And he really emphasized that that doesn't mean that if you don't ask, you're going to get anyway. What that means is because you didn't ask, you didn't receive something in your life or something wasn't changed in the course of events. And he kind of joked about how like, you know, that drives Calvinists crazy. Of course, John Piper's Calvinist. But, you know, you don't want to get in this mindset that, oh, well, God is sovereign. So everything's preordained. So my prayers don't make a difference. Mm -hmm. um, that's just not that that's contrary to biblical teaching. Uh, no matter how you interpret scripture, we need to believe that when we pray, somehow in the mysterious sovereignty of God, that prayer actually affects real material change. Yeah, and personally for me, that's so convicting because even though I could mentally assent to everything you're saying, right. I think in my like daily reality, there are many times that I go without asking. And I think sometimes I just think like, well, maybe this is too small or like mm. maybe like 
I don't know. It seems silly to pray for this, but I think this really inspired me. And I'll talk about this too in the in the practical things. Mm-hmm. But it just inspired mm-hmm. me to pray all the time, all day, just because. Why not? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to lose. Yeah, I, I, actually, that reminds me. Like in college, I had this thing where, like, I didn't want to pray about my grades because I was like, I don't know. I want to pray to God about like more serious things, and. I kind of realized like that's kind of hypocritical because I'm spending so much of my time and energy trying to get good grades, right? So like, if it's not worth my time and effort, then I should focus my attention on other things. But if it is, if studying is worth my time and effort, then I better pray about it. I shouldn't be embarrassed that it's like a small like non-religious thing. Like God is con- deeply concerned about all the areas of my life, uh, and that's such a great point that you make. Yeah. So. I did this kind of like gap year thing in East Texas um, at this ministry. And this is so silly, but I I remember like I was really broke. And compared to the rest (laughs) of the world, I actually was not broke. I was fine. I had a place. You felt broke. Yeah, I had a place to live and I had food. But it was my my roommate's birthday and she'd thrown a little surprise birthday party for me. And and I remember checking my bank account and I had like 13 cents or something or $13. I don't remember. That is pretty broke, actually. (laughs) I mean, that's... Yeah. yeah, definitely. So I checked my account and I was kind of like, wow, like I can't even buy her a cake. And I, and I prayed and, I, and I, I thought, this is so silly. Like maybe this is my own like irresponsibility and spending my right, money. Right, right, right. But I prayed anyway, like God, you know, I pray that you would have a hundred and thirteen, like a hundred dollars and 13 cents by the end of the day. And then randomly, my mom uh, called me like a few hours later and said, hey, I just deposited $100 into your account. That's crazy. You never told me this story. Yes, I feel like God is so merciful. You know, he's like such a good father. Even, you know, in our weak little prayers and trying to learn things. Mm. And like I said, maybe it was my own fault for buying too many like ramen the last time I went shopping. (laughs) He still provided in that way. And I don't know, those little things just build your faith. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And. That's what I. That's why I feel like this chapter was um, definitely one of my favorites because it was just a, such a reminder to having faith for prayer to change things. Even though we hear about this in church, you know, and our house of prayer community all the time, and it kind of reminded me of this um, uh, book that I read by E. M. Bounds. Um, you may have heard of him before, but he's written um, actually many books on the subject of prayer. Um, but, uh, this book was called the possibilities of prayer. We should probably do EM bounce. We should do a separate EM bounce podcast at some point. Um, but I was just so convicted the first time I read this. Um, I wish I could read all of this, but I'll just read one section. Um, it says the possibilities of prayer then lie in the great truth, uh, that God answers every prayer from every true soul who truly prays. Now, I think it it doesn't mean that he's going to answer every single prayer that we ever pray, but, you know, Ian Bounds is careful to emphasize that it's every true soul who truly prays, right? Mm -hmm. James talks about not praying according to our, you know, selfish, passionate desires, right? Um, But then this is what Ian Bounds says. It's very old school, so, you know, don't be offended, but he says, God's word does not say, Call unto me, and you will thereby be trained into the happy art of knowing how to be denied. Ask, and you will learn the sweet patience by getting nothing. Far from it, but it is definite, clear, and positive. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. And I feel like 
so many times in my life, especially through high school and early college, like it was basically just like I would pray kind of as a spiritual exercise. And I would always, you know, God, if it's your will, then I mean, there's nothing theologically wrong with that. But it was just this attitude of he's not really going to answer my prayer. Mm-hmm. And um, if you want to be challenged in, you know, that having that prayer of faith, I highly recommend E.M. Bounds. Um, any of his books on prayer, but I'm just reading from The Possibility of Prayer, which these are widely available online um, since it's, um, what is it called? I mean, it's it's old enough, so it's um, public domain. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really, this chapter was such a great uh, reminder for me. Yeah, that's such a great quote, and it actually goes perfectly with what I wanted to say, too, which is just that um, something that really convicted me in this chapter is just that uh, we shouldn't, well, Richard Foster says that we shouldn't necessarily pray like he calls them weak if it be thy will prayers. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm definitely mm-hmm. guilty of that. I think, mm-hmm. uh, like I've mentioned before, I had this really big encounter with God when I was 18. And mm-hmm. I had so much faith and I was so excited. And then I came from Texas to New England. And uh, a lot of my friends, including John, were very intellectual about their faith. So I felt kind of insecure. I was like, well, how do I know? Like, Sorry. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. We'll share about our backstory later on. Yeah. yeah. But I remember thinking, like, how do I know that this prayer is actually, like, something I can pray or should pray? So I felt kind of like I really started to, like, question what I was praying. But, but what he says is that, if you are walking with God and if you are in communion with God, in communion with God, you can pray with authority, trusting that God's going to do what you ask. Mm-hmm. And I think the key here, obviously, like you like you mentioned, is that you're not just praying for like a BMW to materialize in your driveway or something. Like that's not something that's God's heart, you know, probably not his heart for you. But but if you are praying with faith for things that are things that are on his heart, then then he will do it. Mm-hmm. So that really encouraged me just uh, being able to pray with authority. And I love that he mentions too that in, in the New Testament, uh, a lot of the prayers that were prayed were so author- authoritative, they were just commands like right, walk. Right, you know? right, right. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely not at that level yet, but it just built my faith to kind of pray, trusting that God wants to do it and that he can do it. Well, as usual, Richard Foster uh, speaks about the practical aspects of these disciplines and in particular with prayer, uh, I love that he emphasizes that, uh, you know, it's not like we're going to be excelling at prayer right when we start, right? So he says, occasional joggers do not suddenly enter an Olympic marathon, right? So in the same way, it's not like we can expect to just be like the masters of prayer or whatever. Um, and it and it takes that kind of uh, daily practice. And he makes uh, a bunch of different practical suggestions for how we can practice and excel um, with the discipline of prayer. Yeah, uh, one thing that I really liked, he calls these flash prayers. So um, flash prayers is an idea developed by Frank Laubach in his many books on prayer. And essentially, during a flash prayer, you're just you're just flashing prayers at people. So as you're going about your day, whether you're taking the train to work, which is something we do here in Boston, or whatever that might be for you, going grocery shopping, you're kind of praying at the people that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. And I love what he says. He says sometimes when he prays for people, he prays that like God's peace and joy will fill their hearts and he can see them, like they might turn and smile at him after he prays. So I just thought this is excellent. Why would I not 
just pray for everyone and anyone. Um, so I was really inspired to just go out, to go about my day looking for opportunities to pray for people, even if they don't know I'm praying for them. Those prayers can have a huge impact on uh, on them and even on my own heart, keeping me in a prayerful state. So I'm excited to try these flash prayers throughout my day. Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited to start uh, just practicing these different disciplines in general. I mean, I'm definitely sad to leave behind the inward disciplines. Like we still didn't talk about fasting or study, which are both great chapters. Um, but there's still so much left to talk about in this book. Like uh, when, when, so the next sections are about the outward disciplines and corporate disciplines. And I love it because, you know, I think if we overemphasize just the inward disciplines, that's not a true reflection of uh, discipleship to Jesus. I mean, it's always yeah. about the inward realities leading to um, outward um, acts of love and service. And so um, in the next episode, we're actually going to be talking about the outward and the corporate disciplines. And I'm super excited to talk about simplicity and solitude and service. and Confession. These, confession, yeah. I mean, these really, um, you know, heavy-hitting topics. But... Um, yeah, I think we'll kind of close here for now. And so thanks for tuning in and hope that you all will join us next time uh, for the rest of Celebration of Discipline. The music for today's episode is used by permission from theversesproject.com. The song is Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12. It's performed by Aaron Strumpel. Uh, but yeah, my wife and I are longtime fans of the Versus Project. You should definitely go check them out, show them your love and support. The sun.